Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going this morning? I'm doing all right, Ben. How are you? I am doing well. And we are joined, as usual, by by PD Webb to, to, to chat today. So PD, how's it going? It is going very good on this very busy week. The wait is finally over. A triple header of fun is upon us this week. Football's in full effect, with many teams strutting their stuff, and the MLB playoffs are in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. It is a very busy week. Um, yeah. Excited to take a little break this week to to chat about uh, what we're going to talk about today. So today we have a variety of topics with PD. You're going to talk about his his now famed heuristic. Um, you should go read all of the pieces he's done on that uh, relating to guards in this 2020 draft. They're fantastic. And then we're going to spend some much needed time on. 2021, given that the college basketball season is now rapidly approaching. Um, teams Cade, are now, Cade practiced Cade, yesterday. Cade practiced yesterday. Uh, he made a really good pass. Um, yeah. We're just desperate for anything that's not 2020 draft at this point. I understand. But yes. Much needed 2021 talk today after, even though, you know, with college basketball and the draft being so close together, uh, we're going to do a little of both. So let's just get into our episode today. Sure. Um, so, PD, I guess do you, do you want to get into the basics of of what the heuristic is um, and, and what you're attempting to uh, to give people an outline for for evaluating with with the heuristic? So, um, I don't really like evaluating guards for the most part. Um, I don't find it to be particularly like a stimulating scouting process when doing long form research. And um, I recognize that a lot of people who um, are NBA fans or like, you know, partial draft heads don't necessarily have the time to watch 30 games of somebody. And so for um, for the heuristic, it was a way of trying to institutionalize how I uh, grade guards pretty quickly um, using both their highlight tape and then a small amount of stats and then uh, some additional context with games. Um and it's a way of, you know, quickly understanding what a guard is, uh, what a guard isn't, and then the context they can pretty easily slide into um, in the NBA. Yeah, so I think that the concept of highlight scouting is very interesting because it's obviously not something that should comprise all of your scouting work. But um, there is there's value to be drawn from looking at high points and seeing what what those are for for prospects because it can be very revealing if if the high points kind of don't meet the the qualifications that you uh lay out as 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 important to reach um so i guess the 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 first uh prong of your your heuristic is easy buckets in the half court. Um, so 
Is it you, before we we get into that a little bit? You want to just give a like quick ex, quick explanation of, of what you mean by easy buckets? Yeah, um, the best way to tell if somebody is a prospect or not is to see if they belong on the court. Like if your first impression of uh, someone playing basketball is like they need to get these other children out of here. Like when you watch John Wall's mixtape, you're like, this is child abuse. Um, I don't know who allowed this, but like it can't happen. So easy buckets are the ones that's like, you know, it is whatever the the level of competition is, it should look easy. It should be, you know, one move and go. If it requires four, five, six, seven moves to get by anybody at the level they're currently at, like you should be concerned. Um, and every count, every reaction the defense has, there should be a counter. So just the effort level required to get very good looks is the first thing that should jump out yeah. about a guard. And I think that's, you know, kind of an easy thing that you can glean from, from the highlight scouting is, um, you know, yes, anyone looks, everyone looks good making shots in a highlight reel, but there's a difference between, you know, um, a guard who, you know, is, is a difficult shot maker in those highlight reels, and which is, you know, hard to know whether that's a real thing just from highlights, but it's easy to know whether, you know, burst or explosion or the ability to get, you know, wide open layups and wide open dunks is real but from watching them do it in highlights. If they do it in highlights, you know, they can do it. So, yeah, I mean, that's just like an easy thing. That's, that's probably the most important thing for me and that I've learned from the heuristic is like to look for in the highlights. Have you found that there are any notable examples of guys who were able to get good looks very easily who uh washed out badly in the league yeah i mean you'll find guys who can get really easy looks but it's often because the type of guy that gives them trouble or the type of coverage that gives them trouble isn't present at um at their current competition level um like obviously if you're playing at you know a small public school in hawaii like that's a different competition level than uh you know if you're playing uh, uh, Damian Classic in LA, like that's just a different translation. Um, often you'll find guys who like straight up can't shoot. Um, so, you know, you're trading balls, um, Briscoes, guys who can get whatever they want to at a level, but it's because the defense isn't capable of coordinating to the point to force them to take shots they don't want to take. So there's holes in this, but that kind of goes to the uh, some of the later points that like this is still a box that has to be checked and has to be checked like as quickly as possible. To cover for that hole, though, do you, when you're doing highlight scouting, do you look at multiple competition levels, multiple contexts? Yeah, I mean, competition level jumps out pretty quickly. Uh, you, you generally look at centers. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, is this a college center right now? Yes, no. And that's kind of the easiest way to tell. Um, the other one is like the organization level. You know, is it is it beats one guy or is there, you know, multiple people on the outside? Um, so I think that it doesn't, you don't necessarily have, need to have a calculation for the, um, for the competition, but just understanding what is or is not present and factoring that into, uh, your, you know, small sample analysis. Yeah. Yeah. I started watching a Jalen Johnson game the other day. I found, I, I think there's like one, uh, Nicolette high school game on YouTube and, uh, <laughs> I started watching it and everyone is like five foot nine, except for Jalen Johnson. Right. And just like there's not there's not a lot to be taken from this, unless you're shooting, and then everything's to be taken. From yeah, that, no, that's true. Um, so I guess this year, who who would you say are the standouts in in getting easy buckets and and satisfying this element of the heuristic? I mean, Kyra is is somebody that jumps out to me. Um, they aren't all there. Sometimes they're in semi transition, but just like when he gets easy buckets, they are incredibly easy. Um, and it is in a way that uh, is very translatable. Um, it's not an issue of like, is he seeing the wrong types of coverage? Is he not seeing NBA athletes like doing it at a age disadvantage in the SEC while being the focus of your team is like kind of a kitchen sink situation. And so he's seeing things that are extremely real and uh, translate. And like the finishes jump off the page. I think on the other side is like Maxi. Like Maxi doesn't have a lot that's easy. Um, and you can determine where you think that comes from. Uh, I mean, I've seen Maxi like get stuff easy, and the easy stuff that he gets um, is usually finishing through people, which has its own value. So I think that you can quickly determine context even from a 12 minute out there. 
Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the concern with this class is that there are not necessarily guards yeah. who can get easy buckets. Like even even with Kyra, like you said, I think a lot of it is is going to be semi transition stuff, um, and that's kind of why this class isn't that great because they they're they're just there is not a guard who like like even you know Riller. Oh, oh like, yeah, that's actually that that's yeah. the point. I mean, I was thinking like Riller is really the only one to me. That like you know looks consistent in translation, but then there's obviously you know other issues with with Driller you know b- beyond his ability to get easy buckets. But the easy buckets um, are are definitely there for Riller. I think they're going to be. I mean, yeah, I think that there's questions about usage with Riller. Um, I think it's fair, that, and I think why he didn't jump mining and uh, and Kyra did is that like there are some times where he's like you know running off Iverson cuts and catching and facing. Uh, while the yeah, defense really. loads up, and I just don't necessarily see that being his NBA role. Um, yeah, really does play off ball, I think, more than he kind of gets a rep for. I mean, and and I mean, there's the there's the competition level caveat, uh, yeah, with him, where like you know, Kyra Kyra is not running into these guys who who you you look at the opposing team and you're like, okay, this is really not going to tell me that much. Uh, that doesn't happen in the SEC. Uh, it does in the CAA. I mean, he's able to do the same things against. Yeah, like, no, no, teams like Oklahoma State and like VCU, which are you know very legitimate competition. But yeah, I mean, generally, I think that's a strong point. Um, especially when there are games like in the CAA when he does struggle because like he, there are times when he like gets walled off when he probably shouldn't. Um, and so yeah, but yeah, I mean, the the easy buckets like at some level they're going to be there for him. I mean, yeah, I mean there there are a lot of there are a lot of buckets that he does not have to work hard for. Like there yeah. there are a lot of uh, of buckets where he is just like exploding by a guy with one step and he's in the dust. But um and and it do, and like you said it does it like translated against Oklahoma State and VCU. But um I just think that like generally speaking if you're watching real or highlights in most of his games it'll be caa yeah yeah, yeah. It, like you, yeah. you you will see some situations where it's like okay this is not necessarily representative competition um yeah. so the the next prong of the heuristic that is is um pretty similar related it's yeah, like the yeah. opposite side of this coin yeah it's it's what is the degree of difficulty in the average bucket um and this one i think is very interesting to me because i i, I feel like the the most highly regarded highlight tapes are, are like, yeah, they're going to be smalls dunking on people. But after that, it's probably hitting like ridiculous step backs and doing Kobe stuff. And in reality, like those are not high percentage shots. And if like, it, it's really, really good to be a, a tough shot maker. That's a, that's like a skill set that's worth a ton. Which but, is, that, that's a rare skill set to find. Well, it's not even that. It's just like, even if you're the best tough shot maker of all time, that should be like the hardest 10% of your baskets, not 100% of your baskets. Um, so I, I, PD, do you, do you think that this is the area where people kind of fail most when generally doing highlight scouting that they get tantalized by these things that look impressive, but actually like if this is what you're relying on to score, it's not good. Uh, yeah, I think that they don't factor the translation area as much. So there's two problems here. The first one is if you're taking uh, a volume of tough shots, um, that's not something that translates to a higher level. You just you have to assume that the amount of difficult shots you're going to take in the league goes up as defenders and defenses get better. And the other one is that um, you have to ask how this very good prospect is getting pushed to take tough shots by uh, an NCAA defense. And that's the one that I think people get hung up on most. It's like, yeah, he took a you know he made a great uh, two pivot fadeaway over two defenders. The problem is that like. It happened versus like William and Mary. How is that happening? What is that going to look like if that's the Los Angeles Clippers? And you, in that idea, reach this problem of uh, process. And that's what a lot of bad shots, uh, bad shot or tough shot making, um, two sides of the same coin, uh, is, is it's a reflection of generally difficult process. And you want to have the simplest process possible for uh, an outstanding prospect. Yeah, I feel like it's even more apparent with like high school mixtapes because I think a lot of these guys that have a lot of buzz, um, 
in in the mainstream or even like i mean increasingly like on instagram and stuff like that not you know in in scouting circles um but are these guys who who then like develop large followings and and are aren't just kind of well-known independent of, of like a prospect standpoint um that's the problem with a lot of them is that this stuff looks really impressive but when your entire highlight tape is like contested jumpers uh like impressive step backs but yeah like that's all you can get or step back long twos that's a really big problem like it's cool that you can kind of make them but one you're gonna like they'll they won't be there as much at the next level and two you're not going to make them at a high enough rate um so i guess i i feel like this year there are a lot of relevant examples of guards where their average degree of difficulty is really high like cole, cole Anthony, yeah cole yeah. is like i think the main one who comes to mind are there, are there any guys that you'd say stand out in a positive regard this year, PD, with with they can just get themselves good looks over and over and over? Uh, Cassius and Flynn are the two guys that, like, don't take as much um, difficult shots as they could. That's probably the best way to phrase it. They still take tough shots, but there's a lesser volume of it than what you would think for an undersized guards who don't necessarily have a ton of explosion. Yeah, honestly, like, Flynn, since... He doesn't get to the rim that often for like what wind up being pretty good looks. And because he really, really likes to lean on his floater, I honestly like his degree of difficulty is kind of high. Now he is willing to just sort of launch from three from anywhere. Uh, and Cash is like has the quick pop ability and gets up a ton of threes. Now, like the problem with Cash is he never gets to the rim. And when he does get there, they're not even good looks for him because he's so incapable of finishing. But. Yeah, I mean, even those guys, like, I think the average degree of difficulty yeah. is kind of worryingly high. Yeah. And I mean, you always have guys, you know, l- like Ant, who will occasionally flash the the very low degree of difficulty shots, but you know, too often are stuck taking difficult, you know, shots that look impressive. You know, the the, the Michigan State um, stuff, is, Michigan State second half looks impressive, but. Uh, it would be a lot, you know, it would be a lot even more impressive if, if those were open layups and dunks rather than, you know, 35 footers uh, with defenders in their face because it's a lot less sustainable and a lot less efficient in the long term. It would also be great if the first half tape wasn't what the first half tape wasn't. <laughs> That's true. But, um, like, the problem with bad process is that, like, it replicates itself. So if you have a game where, you know, you hit a double step back three times in a row, like, that's probably not going to happen next time. It's not, probably not going to happen the next game you do it. And um, I think somebody that really stuck out for me with this was Nico Mannion, who just like couldn't, like his average, he didn't take a ton of like absolutely ludicrous shots in terms of difficulty, but his average shot just wasn't simple enough for me for somebody who was uh, theorized to be a shot creator. I just never felt like he got like even like a shot that was 10% easier than it had to be. Yeah, I, I think in all elements of the heuristic, as we'll see, Nico doesn't look great. But I, I there's something I want to bring up uh, when it comes to that a bit later. But one, one guy I do want to talk about now, while we're still focused on the first two uh, aspects of the heuristic, is uh, Lamella Ball. Because we'll see in the, in the following three uh, prongs, he's going to look great. But the first two, I think that this is like the major concern with Lamelo. That these are kind of the like, can you be trusted to self-create um, uh, prongs of the of the of the process? And I, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I think you're maybe a little bit higher on Lamelo than I am, but I would not feel good about him satisfying either of these. Like, I, I think his average degree of difficulty is is pretty damn high, uh, and I think he has to work really hard to get uh to get his looks like this is this is the guy ever everyone's seen that like 12 crossovers on the on the nbl big failing to break him down play like lamello has to work hard for his advantages uh and that's kind of concerning with lamello not having transition really hurts because that's where his mind can work uh, at the highest level i mean in general um guys who aren't nuts uh explosive or um, don't have like some easy physical advantage. Uh, and Lamelo's is especially difficult because he was playing in a professional league. Like the first two are going to look worse 
that's just a reality of um, being that particular style of guard. Um, I don't think that, that you need to ace all of these. Um, there are guards who, who do, who still have, you know, context issues or, uh, you know, fit in an NBA team circumstance. I think that Melo can create easy looks. Uh, the other issue is that, like, he doesn't always want to. Like, he is fine taking shots that I think uh, most people in this class would not be okay taking consistently. And so there is a selection element of, you know, he's not just being forced into these shots at times. At times he feels like he revels in bad shots. Yeah, which I think you could say the same for Ant. But um, I, I, I think that there is definitely a level of inability with Lamelo that, that is concerning. Um, should we move on to the next um, the next uh, box? In the in the heuristic, yeah. Okay, so so next we've got how dramatic is the advantage uh, or space creation, um, and this is something that I think is, is very relevant to uh, guys that we've discussed in the last couple of weeks in depth, like Jarrett Culver, Killian Hayes for sure. Um, so, PD, uh, who who comes to mind this year for you as guys who? Who maybe are are viewed as advantage creators, but uh, the margins are really slim, or or the opposite, where they're really just kind of breaking an entire defense down, uh, and it's like really really dramatic. Yeah, so I think that uh, with with advantage creation, um, once a guard can beat their guy, I'd like to focus on how many defenders exactly like have to take attention. Like every time Riller dribbles, you just see four dudes like who you know, are hearing every huddle and hearing uh, every scouting report being like, Riller can't beat us. And you see four guys just sprint to the ball. Um, so I think this is the area, rather than easy buckets, that he does best, where it's just like you consistently see, whether it's a low major, mid-major, high major, like guys are sprinting for their lives anytime that he gets any kind of advantage. Um, when you're considering, like, the passing angles too, um, I really liked uh, – uh, Cassius, just because like he starts to get ahead of the count on defenses and defenses just do throw everything they can to catch up. Um, in terms of poorly, uh, Tyrell Terry has some real issues here um, because teams can, uh, if they are capable of recovering to him as a as a, a respot up threat, he loves to you know pump fake, take one dribble and reshoot. Um, Teams can just kind of stunt at him and, or feel confident that he can't finish through a wall. Um, and there's not a like definite recourse that he has to retain that advantage because of his uh, lack of physicality. This is also a major uh, Maladon issue uh, as well. He's like the main one I think of um, for this one as just somebody who is never like his shots, his self-created shots are always difficult. Um, they're always tough. And I mean, he like some of the footwork stuff at the rim and the craft is really good. The touch is good, but it's always tough. It's always difficult. And yes, the competition he's playing is very good. And, and he's, he can, you know, 18 playing in the Euro league, but still, uh, you know, it's, it's not something that you see improving really at the NBA level, which is definitely concerning. Yeah, I feel like a, a lot of these things are, are about margins and these guys who play with very slim margins at lower levels, like once they move up a level, the margins are going to get even slimmer. And if you're starting at, you know, a slim point, you're go- eventually you're going to run out of margin. And yeah, I think Maladon is a guy who plays with really slim margins that like, yeah, he's going to he's going to get you to go over a screen and then he's going to get you on his hip and like he's going to work with that and he'll use his touch. But like, I mean, I think this shows up especially with the passing with him that he has an unwillingness to to uh, use live dribble passing that he has. Like he, but he'll discontinue his dribble and then he wants to pivot around. And like those passing windows are are kind of there in um, in in the French league and in Euro league, but they like they're gonna close in the NBA. Like the 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 speed and length and recovery ability of NBA athletes is insane. Um, and so when you're when you're already playing a very marginal game, like it, it's just going to get so much tougher at a higher level. Um, yep. One guy who I think is going to kill this, um, the, how dramatic is the advantage space creation in college is is Cade, uh, and like he, he's going to he kills everything because 
you know, he's a god. He's, but, he's Cade. But, like, the way that he is able to manipulate so many different defenders in so many different ways with his pacing and his eyes uh, and his, you know, and shot fakes and just, like, the, the fact that he's enormous and can always get a shot off or finish through people, like... And then his his tendencies of being like a, a guy who I think is kind of fundamentally pass first um, and, and just like wants to get other people involved and make the right play. I think that he he's just going to like totally kind of wreak havoc on every defense and they're going to be terrified of him. And he's just going to be like, I, I think he's going to have a pretty ridiculous uh, passing season. And hopefully he, he becomes more selfish at some point. But I think yeah. he's going to. I think he's really going to. I mean, he this. has shown that willingness to, you know, be to dominate the first those first couple points. Of the heuristic, I mean, the the phenom game always sticks out, um, where he had like thirteen rim attempts, and they were all like open layups or dunks. Yeah, and against made a lo- like against a, them. against a loaded EYBL team. I mean that. I mean that's easy buckets. That's low degree of difficulty, and that's something that Cade I think is going to be able to do. Um, and I think he will. I mean. I mean, I again, we we have to see it against you know Big Twelve and NCAA competition. But I think you know, I, I think Cade has shown you know at the highest levels of, of high school basketball that he's willing to do that um, when he need, when he needs to, and I think he will. I mean, I mean, when evaluating guard prospects, the ability to make defenses think while rotating is is so important. If defenses can flow, and this is sort of the point against Cole that I uh, wound up is that defenses could just flow at his secondary read. And he wouldn't freeze that defender. They could just, you know, rotate and understand, like, well, he's, he's either going to do this or that. Or Cade isolates defenders and be like, what are you going to do? Are you going to rotate to the corner? Are you going to sag down on this big? Or are you, are you going to get to the midpoint so you can get between the corner and the slot? And that defender is now thinking. And now you've, and then he goes to the next defender. And he's reading multiple defenders at the same time, forcing them to read him. And so they can yeah. flow down to his decisions. So I think that it's one thing if you can create with your handle or, or your shooting, you know, a huge amount of space, but it's another thing to freeze those defenders in that space so that they can't recover back to uh, being in rotation, keeping defenders one step behind at all times or continually throwing them new problems that they have to think their way through is the essential function, regardless of how much space creation you have initially with your first step. Yeah, I mean it's Cade or any of those guys being the ones who who dictate the rotations rather than the rotations being the the factor that dictates you know a, a player's decision making. I mean, yeah, and and this this uh, prong is why all three of us I think have Killian and Lamelo as the top two prospects in this class. Like like they they are guys who will pick out one defender and make his life hell. Uh, and the result will be either a wide open three or an open layup or a dunk. Like the, these guys know how to manipulate defenses to create complete breakdowns. Um, and honestly, I think like, I mean, Halliburton kind of does too, but the problem is going to be the creation of an initial advantage there uh, at all. Oh, I think that it's keeping people in rotation because like, yeah, Halliburton has the opposite read of K or of Cole where it's like, Oh, I know where he's going to go. He's going to football. So like what, it te- what teams will do when, you know, if Halliburton is able to, you know, dribble past people and, and create a rotation is they will just sit, sink as far back as possible into their, uh, into their help side splits. Yeah. And, and force him to the ball. They're like, okay, now, now go high point. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, I think you saw that with, with good college defenses that yeah, they like, Baylor did it. Yeah. Um, Baylor's one that really sticks out where they just like played the pass. Yeah. And, and they, and they, they to... yeah. And if you just, if you play it well and play, like you play, you played space well, like you are not going to give Halliburton options and he's probably going to turn it over or take 15 floaters and not make them. Yeah. Which is what obviously a win for the defense and <laughs> makes it tough for Halliburton. But, and that's, that's if he ever dribbles by anyone, which he won't. That's, um, that's a big if. Listen up, fellas, because today we have a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. Take a look in the mirror, and I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven pubes. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Weed Whacker. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. 
The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor power 360 degree rotary dual blade system. It's intelligently contoured design enhances the trimming experience and it's waterproof, which makes for easy operation and cleaning. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code armchair. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weeds. Uh, should we move on to look closely at the passing windows, which I think can, can, is probably the most difficult of these to see in a highlight tape. Cause it's probably going to require you to do some pausing and rewinding. Whereas the others are, I think fairly obvious. Um, so, so PD, what, what is the utility to you of, of looking at the passing windows and what specifically do you mean by that? So um, what I mean by passing windows are that in the circumstance where imagine that the defense was in the same position, but all the defenders were better. How many options does the guard have? So um, a lot of times, at, at, especially at lower levels, if you're scouting uh, high school or, uh, or circuit games, like a good player doesn't really have to go to their second or third options that often. They'll get to what they want and get, and, and get it all. But as you get to the NBA, you need to have multiple options. So if you're in that circumstance, are there passing angles for you? Are you capable of seeing them or is the, is the guard reading them? I mean, we're not in the old days where we have to see things in 360p anymore. So we can read the guard's eyes and understand, okay, he sees this slot. He's looking that defender off and he just went finished. So for me, it's a, this is both a proxy for passing ability and for uh, creation feel for internalization of rotations and understanding of the spatial dynamics of like where those defenders are. Because like at some levels you can get away with like, you know, throwing hook passes high, but in the NBA, they have to be on a laser. So for me, it's just, uh, it's trying to see what this guard really understands. Cause you'll, you you know, as you usually this happens with guys who are blurs, but they like don't get help side rotations because they've never had to really read them before. And they'll get to a certain level where like, yeah, I've never seen a person do that because that guy's usually like, you know, so far behind. Um, so it's just using this as a proxy of, of how much of the game they're reading, what they're reading. And, you know, as you watch more of a guy, you understand like what his comfort level is and where he likes to see things. And so it's a way of seeing what their own creation passing wiring is. So some guys like to shoot, you know, 40% on this one decision. Some like to pass 80% on this one decision. And so figuring out where their wiring lies in terms of how much they think they should pass or score. And then you can use that as a proxy for comfort level with, uh, you know, their role at the next level or, you know, how best to deploy them as a second side guy versus a first side guy. Um, So this isn't really for its own utility, but as a way of understanding other things and informing those decisions. So are, I, I guess maybe it's disqualified by that last thing you said, but are there guys who, who stand out positively or negatively uh, on, on this um, this aspect of the heuristic to you this year? Um, I think Riller stands out positively. Um, he's a person who had to score more than I think he's probably like would like to. Uh, Do you think that's always been the case, or is that more of a development this year? I think that's a little more of a development this year. Um, obviously being a senior and just uh, being like, okay, so I have to score X many points tonight for us to have a shot in this. Um, the other guy that really stood out to me was uh, Trey Jones because I thought that Trey was making like reads and that like the defenders just weren't in the right place. Like I continually found Trey like sort of somewhat bemoaning the circumstances he was in where he's like, well, this defender should be a step over, but they don't think that, you know, my wing can shoot, so he's not there. And it's sort of this, you know, what would happen in a game with proper gravity versus in a Duke game. And so over and over, I was like, oh, I see what he's trying to do, but that's not a reality. So now he has to sort of make an on-the-fly decision for what he thinks should happen in this circumstance. Um, I think that's an element of Trey Jones that, like, we use the context argument selectively for the guys that we like and we don't use it for the guys that we don't it's just sort of the nature of being a person um and trey jones is just it was in an awful situation last year and i I, over and over i kept looking at his passing windows and being like yeah that's there like it doesn't matter if you throw it because you know you're throwing it to a guy who either won't shoot or 
um, isn't a particularly good decision maker for an advantage situation. Um, so watching him read through uh, these uh, passing areas was interesting. Do you guys have guys that you feel uh, stood out particularly negatively? Uh, negatively. Uh, um, n- not really. I mean, uh, positively thinking back, I think that that this is somewhere where like John ja Morant looks very good. Um, and it, in I think in a similar vein to Trey that like, you know, so, sometimes it was, there were things that I think like he clearly saw should have been there, but weren't necessarily um, given the surrounding talent. Um, and, you know, I think it, 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 I think that the, his, his sort of thought process speaks to the level of passer that he is. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you have any guys that are, that are notably negative in this, in this department, uh, to you PD? I, I really didn't love a lot of Maxi's like in the moment decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably knocked me off my like preseason stance of like Maxi can be a, like a, a semi-primary. Um, just because I don't think that his, the way that his gravity affects the defense was, was much different than it had previously. Mm-hmm. And without that gravity, I don't think that he has the threshold of passing. Um, that isn't to say that he like isn't going to be a fantastic secondary. It's just that there is a, uh, uh, there is a delta between where he needs to be as a passer with his current gravity and where he is right now. Um, and then like, Cole and Terry didn't really act like I, I think they're both play finishers. Um, I, I had always thought that about Cole um, and Terry just never. The decision-making process for me is not one that I find to be uh, particularly consistent or like highly valuable for his size. Yeah. I mean, looking over, over it now, I think one guy who does kind of come to mind is Devon Dotson. Uh, yeah. A little bit that like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know that he's got like a, an advanced decision-making process there. Uh, and also like he, he's not going to have the um, release valve of the lob threat that he had in college. Like probably he's likely to not have that level of, of release valve in the NBA because you uh, know, is, is a really, really uh, good lob threat. Um, so yeah, I think that he, that he is, he's someone who, who comes to mind in this area. Uh, so this is one that I go back to a lot with Markel because like Markel was a really interesting passer. And I think that like, I thought that he thought the game at a really high level when he was at Washington. Um, and I, I really like it when my guards throw ambitious turnovers through passing windows, um, both because it's like, it's a sounding out of a, you know, a logic statement of like, okay, so what exactly can I get here? So, like, I thought that Markel had the right type of uh, turnovers, especially live ball turnovers that pick and roll. Um, But I think that if I went back and watched it again, um, I would probably be a little bit lower and confuse that ambition for understanding. Um, Just based on what we've seen with with his NBA tape at this point, and also that, like, the Washington uh, situation really wasn't good, and it probably got hype. There was probably a level of buff from the, the context that, is a, a small factor, uh, a smaller factor than we would like to think. Um, and so the the final arm of uh, the heuristic, I think, is probably the easiest to see. It's just show me the special. Um, I think that's pretty evident. You know, it's this yeah. it's the sort of plays that make you say, "Wow." Uh, that you have to watch three or four or five times, not to understand what's going on, but just because they're incredible. Um, I, I Do you think that, that this year is that kind of, I mean, I mean, who, who are the real stars of that team? I feel like it's the, it's the obvious guys. It's going to be the guys at the top. Um, so Lamelo, Killian, I think there, there will definitely be some railer in there. Are there any, other guys maybe who fly under the radar more that you think fit that? Or, or I mean, do you disagree with any of the guys that I named? No, I think that the guys that, that you named are, are definitely a good choice. I think there's another element of show me the special that I may not have emphasized enough is that it's a relative decision. 
So like special is re- like, what can this guy do that you, if you were in a draft room and you had to say like, we need an off the dribble guy, like this is good. This guy is off the dribble special relative to his peers. So I think that in another way of phrasing this is like, what is the, what is it that this guy can do that nobody else can? And for me, like addition to the guys that you named, like uh, Tyrell Terry uh, deciding to shoot through like the smallest windows imaginable is something that I'm like, okay, I really enjoy that for what's likely going to be a guy who needs to shoot through really tiny windows. Um, and I'm not certain if that's something that uh, other people can do um, while with his usage profile. Um, I think Cole's uh, shooting versatility is truly special. Um, and uh, that's like the one thing I've never even a little bit doubted about Cole is that he's going to be um, an electric shooter goal in pretty consistent versatility. Um, I don't know if you can run him off like a ton of actions just because of the way that he gathers is a little delayed, but like he, he's certainly going to be able to shoot off the dribble um, and he's going to be able to catch and shoot from you know, very deep. Um, Riller's, you know, creation um, is, is nuts. And is a thing that, you know, uh, in recruiting, there's this idea that you put your first play first, and you can tell how good somebody is um, in, in a recruiting tape that you send to a coach based on how good the second play is. Like, everybody, you know, who's a Division One guy has, like, one nuts thing that they've done, you know, whether it's going for a putback or, you know, a game winner. But then if the second one is, like, they make a layup and transition, you're like, oh, he's not a guy. Um, where Riller has, like, his creation highlights, he's like, no, there's, like, ten of every type of creation you could possibly make. All of that is so real and it's so different than pretty much everybody else in this class that um, it really stands out. Um, and then, like, Cassius is an all-time shooter. Uh, you know, if Izzo let him, like, go full Trey Young, we would probably get the exact extent of how much. But, like, looking at his numbers and, and looking at the tape, there's just no way that you walk away and be like, oh, this guy isn't, you know, isn't going to be a top 10 shooter, which is probably on low volume. In the NBA at some point during his career? Uh, I, I think that, that he could struggle to get his shot off um, to some degree just because of his size. But yeah, I mean, he, he like watching Cassius in college, for sure, It's you can't come away with any conclusion other than this guy is a special college shooter. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that, that those guys are all strong examples. Um, there, was, oh, there was one other guy. Oh, I, I mean, like... Even someone like like Rokas Jokubaitis has like a weird level of extension finishes for like a small like uh not wildly explosive guard. Um, I, I guess he's not that small. Um, but like you know there are, there are random special skills out there that I, I that matter for creation. Um, that you can kind of show up in this area. So it's not it's you know it's not necessarily um you know doing John Morant posters like that it's not the only way that you can be special there yeah, there are I mean, other ways to do it for me when i wrote this category i was just thinking of the way that Shea gilders alexander moved from the paint that was the thing that like it if you had just compiled a tape of only the time that he was with a live dribble entered the paint and then none of the shots i would have probably taken him in the first round it's like you're six six and you move like that like that's an nba player who's an interesting bet for creation full stop just on that particular skill so the idea that like you could just make um a reel of the thing that is truly special and it would be an interesting prospect by itself. Yeah, that that's a really good call. Um yeah, I think I invoked this whenever we talked about Sharif Cooper uh show me the special that like I mean I think that he generally does very well in in the heuristic uh except maybe uh average degree of difficulty on shots. Um but yeah, like the, I think the special is very evident for a guy with like who, who can blow who can blow by guys whenever he wants i mean you could just you could just show how like so many different aspects of sharif's game and it would look special like you could just show his body control at the rim you could just show his finishing you could just show his handling like there are so many different things that you could you could just show and someone would be like oh my god this guy is is kind of a prodigy Um, yeah uh 2021 has a lot of guards that like um are going to be interesting cases for this because there's a lot of like really unique special, but there may not be all of the connecting pieces. Like Corbello is going to absolutely murder this. Yeah. And like for it, like hit, there's like the, the hand quickness, there's the weird passes, there's the, the hang time while he's clearly thinking like there's so many 
little things that he's special at, but there's going to be, you know, some larger concerns on just basic stuff that, you know, in the same way that Sharif has basic stuff questions. So yeah. I'm excited to see how this transfers to 2021 and how, what changes I might have to make to uh, downplay the, just show me the special aspect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's why you've got to take the, the whole thing as a whole. Um, because the, the, I think there are guys who, who break down in certain areas, even if they do have the special. However, like you said, I, I, I yeah, there, there's definitely some concern that there are guys out there, especially next year who can kind of satisfy all of these. Um, but have just, but like, but kind of by breaking this down, you're missing the bigger picture things, um, that matter. Uh, hmm. Do we have anything else that we want to say on the heuristic before we move into our segment on 2021? I have a small note. Yeah, um, go for it. And it's it's on guys like Nico Mannion. So, like, um, I think that this exercise, like, hurts Nico Mannion and, or guys that fit the profile of Nico Mannion um, as, like, lottery guys or, you know, guys in the first, you know, 20 picks. But it helps them as NBA players because they're more likely to get selected in a context dependent role or they're more likely to succeed so like this defeats the idea of like nico should have secondary value but it really helps of like you know what nico Mannion is really good at relocation threes so if you have a system that has relocation threes and you pick him at 20 you know 5 26 27 you're going to get great value because he does the exact thing that you want him to. so i think that rather than seeing this as like a way of hurting guys who don't you know create with the ball in their hands or, or not um advantage monsters it's you know filtering that noise out and finding the thing that will keep them in you know the club of 450 best basketball players in the world. yeah it's like helping parse out you know what players are and what players aren't to you know find the context that that suits them and you know by by doing this correctly you can find out that you know players if a player isn't worthy of being taken highly take him lower and get him in a context where he can be valuable yeah, this does remind me actually of the one thing that I mentioned earlier that I wanted to bring up was they yeah, so this really is just a heuristic for evaluating guards as creator prospects. Um but with the like as more and more teams have these these jumbo wings like initiating their offense, um I, I feel like it's not necessarily the like the uh the prism through which you have to evaluate guards like the expectation that a guy who's yeah six two like nico Mannion needs to be uh a big time creator like kind of falls flat if that guy gets to play off of ben simmons or jason tatum or like luka Doncic. like then you're talking about a different skill set and something like being really good at relocation threes matters a lot more and not being able to like create dramatic advantages matters a lot less. Um, so I, I do just think that like maybe with the way that, that the NBA is shifting, like if every team has a BJ Boston and a Cade Cunningham, it becomes less important maybe to have, you know, someone who's creating advantages like Sharif Cooper and maybe more important to have someone like Caleb Love, who's a really versatile shooter with a ton of length and size. Like, I just think that may, maybe we're approaching a point in the NBA at some point soon with with like what wings are becoming that the way you evaluate guards has to change. I think that we're maybe four years away from that point. Um, we still have you know twenty one, which we're about to talk about, and then twenty two, which is going to be you know a whole bunch of really interesting wings. Um, yeah. And this is sort of a thing that I talked about at the end of uh, the Moses Moody piece is that like we're going to reach a saturation point of jumbo initiators and then we have to really start you know reevaluating what we want out of guards but i don't think it changes it's just that with the possessions that guards have where they have to create they're now operating at a natural advantage because it's probably as a uh, a secondary action um so it's not that these things become less important it's just the context with which they're deployed becomes different so it's not going to be like one four flat or like super high pick and roll. It's okay. A pick and roll's already been run, and you're catching it, you know, on a uh, 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 on a diagonal against a slightly tilted defense. Does that buff shooting and and make shooting uh, floors more important? Yes. I don't think it denatures the rest of it though. I think that we're going to have 
you know, a little more of threshold hunting with our guards and that um, you'll probably want bigger guards just because they'll need to finish a little bit more. But we are five or so years away from uh, a world where, you know, every team has a download creator. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the, the, yeah, we might just be talking about raised thresholds because I, I do think that there's always going to be a spot for Trey Young to be more or less Trey Young. Like, you know, may, maybe he won't have this degree of, of on-ball load, but like you're going to still value what he does to the level that it, like, we currently value at it and like, value it at. And, and um, you know, you will, you will still be coveting these skills if they're good enough. It just, you know, you're just going to have to reach a kind of crazy threshold. Yeah. The guys guy are just going to have to be good enough and good enough is, is going to get better and better. Yeah. But prospects, you know, will get better and better to, with the changing times and changing priorities as well. and Yeah, I mean, they're just going to develop mentally. Like, they're going to be coming along differently, right? Like, yeah. you're going to have more guys who are 6'2", who grow up playing off of a guy who's bigger than that. Like, you're going to you're going to yeah. have you're going to have more and more of the Cade Cunningham's out there. Like, okay, maybe not Cade Cunningham, but like you're gonna big, have big creators. Yeah, you're gonna have more six seven guys yeah. who are playing with the ball in their heads. I mean, you are you already do you like the, you already yeah. have that. Yeah, I mean, just that means more guards who learn how to do that, how to play off those guys at a young age, which is you know a whole different whole different thing because it's not how it is as much you know historically. And then eventually everyone's going to be a Mobley and seven feet tall and running pick and roll. And it's going to be crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, Mobley? <laughs> well, I mean, they in, in high school, they I, they both did some ball handling. But I, I would say more Evan Mobley, ideally. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, with that, should we – well, should we – I guess should we cut this and then – move on yeah. to 2021 let's cut it so i don't have to do this in post all right cool <laughs> all right so yeah thank you again for the pd for for coming on and, and talking to us uh if you haven't read his pieces on well you should have read his pieces on the heuristic before you listen to this if you haven't uh you definitely should now so go read all of those that they're on his patreon go throw some money at him because he does this for us for free and he should certainly be getting paid by somebody to to write these to write these things um, so yeah, uh, thank you all for listening again. You can follow us on Twitter at prep number two pro pod, uh, follow max at max, a Carlin, follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. No, follow PD at, uh, above the break three. Uh, can't forget about that. And with that, we'll see you all on Wednesday.